The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Save our wildlife, save the environment, save our world. It all starts with a little knowledge. Welcome to Our Wild World with L.A. Weiss. There is so much that's being done and can be done with help from specialists and marginalized community groups to you. We'll discuss the future of Africa, the wildlife, and the people, and show you how it affects the entire planet. Now, here is Ellie Weiss from the Wild Eyes Foundation. Today's episode, Hands Off Our Elephants, has been recorded live during the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Ivory Crush, held outside of Denver, Colorado, and took place on November 14th at the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Arsenal and Repository. The repository is where all seized ivory and other illegal wildlife that has entered the U.S. borders is stored as evidence until legal action has been resolved against the wildlife trafficking offenders. Today we have as our guests Dr. Paula Kahumbu of Wildlife Direct and the spearhead behind the Hands Off Our Elephants campaign. We also have Mr. John Hemingway, Chairman of Wildlife Direct, filmmaker, writer, director of the National Geographic special Battle for the Elephants, along with his cameraman J.J. Kelly, who also has his own production company Dudes on Media. This conversation will be followed by the public statement at the Ivory Crush made by our U.S. Assistant Secretary of State, Judy Garber. In follow-up to the President of Obama's July executive order in support of stopping the killing of elephants for ivory and bringing attention to the scope and scale of the illegal wildlife trafficking and syndicates. We're all here in Denver with the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Ivory Crush. It's been announced a lot. But I think a whole lot more public awareness needs to be done. So we have very special guests today. We have um, Dr. Paula Kahumbo, J.J. Kelly, and John Hemingway. So Dr. Paula Kahumbo is visiting from Nairobi. She's highly involved and very dedicated towards elephants. And she's also involved with Wildlife Direct, as is John Hemingway, who is also the writer and filmmaker of Battle for the Elephants. And if you haven't seen that, you should. And J.J. Kelly is doing a lot of the follow-up of the impact that Battle for the Elephants has throughout in, in East Africa. So let's start there. Hello, Paula. Hi. And hello, JJ. Hello. And hello, John. Hi. I thank you very much for taking the time and being here. So just for our listeners, this is a pre-recorded session. We're here in Denver. A lot is going on. Today was the repository tour at the 
uh, Rocky Mountain Wildlife, uh, Rocky Mountain Arsenal, which was an astounding gut-wrenching scene. And tomorrow, November 14th, is the Ivory Crush. So why don't we start with Paula. Why are you here? Well, I came over from Africa because I felt this was such a momentous uh, occasion. The crushing of the ivory in the United States reminds me of the burn of ivory in Kenya in 1989. And that was a turning point for elephants at a time when, according to all measures, elephants were on their way to extinction. And that galvanized global attention, global concern, demand collapsed, people were ashamed about their ivory buying habits and an international ban on ivory trade was enacted worldwide. Now this crush is the US ivory stockpile. It's a very important message that the United States government is making and we're hoping that what it's going to do is create a massive amount of public awareness here in the United States where there are large ivory markets. Yes, as I understand the US is either the second or the third largest consumers of ivory and it is certainly a waypoint for illegal ivory passing through on the wildlife and illegal traffic trafficking market. I think one of the biggest challenges we have is that we don't have good data on this. There are some studies that show that the US has large amounts of ivory. I've gone around and looked at some of the shops in New York for example and it's very hard to find you know, large volumes of ivory. There's lots of bone being sold off or you know it looks like ivory but it's not ivory. And I think that this um, the failure or the lack of information about the ivory markets here in the United States is a big problem because we know that the major market in the world, probably 90% of the ivory trade in the world is in China. And Chinatowns in the United States could be major areas where ivory is being trafficked. But right now, we don't really have any information. And so I, asked, I asked the Fish and Wildlife Service what they're doing about the illegal ivory that's here in the United States. And they said, you know, it, it's an enormous problem. It's very difficult for them to track every single a retailer and so this awareness is really important because it will reach the global public and every person who sees a friend of theirs wearing ivory um, will hopefully say wait a minute aren't you, isn't this meant to be banned you know what are you doing wearing this stuff and hopefully that will change people's behaviors and stop people from buying such so you made a very important point that I don't think many people connect that um, the US market for ivory I mean we hear about ivory that it's China that it's happening elsewhere. And um, so what is it that Wildlife Direct is doing to raise awareness about the U.S. market? Um, I understand, excuse me for the ums, I understand that Wildlife Direct is very involved in creating a network of other organizations that are involved in wildlife trafficking, wa trafficking wildlife education and awareness. And John, you are the new chairman of the board for Wildlife Direct. You've just been nom uh, appointed, nominated? <clears throat> yes, I, I, I had uh, Richard Leakey um, placed his sword on my left shoulder and said, Arise, you are now the chairman of Wildlife Direct. Uh, Richard was, as you know, the founder of Wildlife Direct. It was absolutely a brilliant thing that he did. And today, my job is to work with uh, Paula and to um, and to focus on Kenya, but as an example for all Africa. And what we're trying to do is we're trying to change minds, behavior, and laws in Kenya so that it one day it will be a measure of, of success in stopping the ivory trade across the whole of Africa. 
Okay, so how are you changing the laws in Kenya? We're hearing a lot of news. Headlines are blasting with seizures here, seizures there, crackdowns here, more law enforcement, stronger and more stringent sentences for those who are caught. Is it working? Well, the new laws have not yet been enacted. But what we have discovered through our studies of the courts in the country is that it's not the law that's the problem. It's the implementation of the law. The law currently allows for 10-year jail terms for anyone who's been caught killing an elephant or a rhino or trafficking in their products. The magistrates are not happy or not willing to send people to jail for those kinds of offences. And so there really is a breakdown in terms of the cooperation between the internal agencies within the, within the country, and that's to do with awareness. And that's why we're doing this behaviour change campaign, to create awareness across all the sectors, from the investigators to the wildlife authorities, the courts themselves, the magistrates, and the government of officials as well. So you say they're not, quote-unquote, happy. Is it a matter of saving face? Is it a matter of corruption or friends or standing up? If, if you can't answer this question, I understand if that's oh, I can not where that we can go Absolutely. or if you don't want to. Number one problem in Kenya and all of East Africa is corruption. There's no question corruption is a major part of the problem. Um, but another part of the problem is literally that wildlife crime is treated as a misdemeanor. It is not a felony. And so how do you send somebody to jail for 10 years for a misdemeanor? It's actually contradictory. Mm -hmm. So in changing the laws, what we've done is written into the law that killing elephants or rhinos or trafficking in their products is a felony and it can attract a jail sentence of up to life. So has this come more into play since the new constitution and the new uh, government that's in the, the recent elections? Has, I was there in a, a couple of years ago when the new constitution was being uh, voted in. So this has a lot to do with the Wildlife Act and all of that that's going no. into play? No? no. The wildlife legislation has been under review for seven years. Mm -hmm. This is something that conservationists, communities, government has been grappling with for a very long time. It's a very complicated issue because it, it impacts on the livelihoods of millions of people who live with wildlife. That's the issue and that's what our wild world is about, is living with wildlife and how we go about changing attitudes, behavior models, to, um, especially in Africa where it's a conflict. An elephant comes through and destroys everything you have in a matter of minutes. It's very difficult to say um, that elephant is more important than the person. And a lot of issues that wildlife becomes more um, perceived as something more important than the people on the ground who are certainly being affected by wildlife conflict. So that's a huge mindset change. How do you go about dealing with that in Kenya? D getting the local people, I hate that sound, local people, Africans, to get on board with this, to, um, is it wildlife must pay for itself? Well, is it well, no. this a is, value I mean, system? What? This is why our campaign is called Hands Off Our Elephants. They are our elephants. It's our heritage. It's our identity. It's our future. It's our economic aspirations. And so the campaign is really about behavior change. It's enlisting and enrolling Kenyans into a way of life that actually draws on our cultural background and heritage. Wildlife has always been part of our culture. We seem to have forgotten it, and so we're actually reviving that sense of importance of wildlife. And people who live with wildlife, yes, they do suffer from um, things like elephants trampling on their crops, but so do people suffer from malaria. Right. You know, nobody goes, you know, off trying to change the laws so that you can get compensation for a mosquito that bit you. 
Um, what we do need to do, though, is to create incentives for people who live around the protected areas so that they will protect that wildlife and benefit from it. And that was a major part of this new legislation. So while I worked very much on penalties, we made sure that we balanced that with incentives, rewards, and recognition for those communities who live adjacent to protected areas so that they don't have to live in poverty, so that they can actually make a living and improve their lives and get educated and have all the services and benefits of living without wildlife. That's a very critical aspect because with Wild Eyes Foundation and the work that we do, um, what I've learned over the 20, 30 years that I've been working there, and I'm sure JJ and John have realized also with their efforts, that you can't ask somebody to stop doing something or change a behavior unless you provide an incentive or an alternative that's just as viable. So let's move that over to Battle for the Elephants. John, this was your film. It was a national, you filmed it for National Geographic. It aired recently and was the second part of an investigative um, article from Nat Geo, the cover article, uh, Blood Ivory. So this followed it up. How did you get involved uh, with Bl Battle for the Elephants? And was it something that you had thought of doing before? Or was this a new thing for you? I know not a new thing in filmmaking, a new kind of outreach concept. Was that part of Battle for the Elephants? Um, well, I'd been thinking about this for a while. Um, I've been so lucky um, ever since I was an adolescent. I've lived in and out of Africa and I um, used every possible excuse that I could find to go back. Um, and um, and those, those who have had the privilege of, um, like me, of being in and out of Africa you can't but fall in love with elephants. Um, and um, it's, it's just amazing over my um, short life. Um, I have uh, the understanding of what elephants do and can do has been completely stood on its head. How uh, so? How so? How, oh, what do you I mean? mean? When I first got there, people heard these uh, elephants had, had mutterings and mumblings and rumblings and so forth, and they were sure that elephants had enormous gastric problems. Okay. And, and they, they had just super indigestion almost at all times. Well, we now know that um, elephants, um, there, there are at least, there are well over 200 different um, um, uh, vocalizations. Uh, vo vocalizations that elephants have. They, uh, and most of them we never hear, they're infrasounds. Some they hear through their feet um, and they are, you know, they have a brain six times the size of ours, um, and that brain is not wasted. I don't think I don't think we're using all of theirs, but I certainly think I don't think we're using all of ours. But I'm sure elephants are using all of theirs. They have to to have survived for millennia. Oh yeah. So here's a question: Do you think? Okay, so elephants, and then we're going to get to JJ because I want to find this impact side. So elephants have survived for millennia. Do you think they'll survive us? Do you think we're winning or losing the war on wildlife? Right now, there's no question we're losing. 67% of the forest elephants in Central Africa have disappeared in the course of the last 10 years. In the last 10 years? Yeah. What and a lot have disappeared just in the last year. What we're seeing, exactly. Last year, poachers gone down 35,000 elephants. 
That's more than the entire population of Kenya's elephants, and we are the fourth largest population of elephants in the world. So yes, we are losing this war right now, and that is why it's so important that we take actions, create the awareness, and demand you know, that the world says no to the extinction of one of the most magnificent species on this planet. So this, this is a question that a lot of people are not in favor of listening but, or hearing, but I have to bring it up. Uh, poaching has changed. It's international crime syndicates now. It's huge. It's a bigger market than oil. It's a, more valuable than gold in terms of ivory, along with rhino horn. So what do you think of, so the poachers on the ground, you're shaking your head and I'm going to let you respond, <laughs> but on the ground, scaling up the ability for rangers to meet fire with fire because the the poaching teams that are coming in are armed they're skilled they're paramilitary do you think paramilitary training i'm not talking about creating a war but upping the scale and the ability and the equipment and the training for the rangers on the ground do you think that would be helpful or are you for or against that because it's, it's a big thing in the news these days sure I mean, look, the, the anti-poaching effort has always been militarized. It, it, you've always had to operate with guns, but, but let's be realistic. The poachers on the ground are using guns, they're using bows and arrows, they're using poisons. It is not the sophisticated syndicates that everyone's talking about. Rhinos is a different story. Right, okay. Rhinos, they're using helicopters, dart guns, and they are highly qualified people, and they are not the ragtag poachers that you have who are going after elephants right now. Okay, that's an important well, distinction. Thank you. And um, the elephant ivory is being carried out on foot, sometimes on bicycles or motorbikes. This is not the kind of sophisticated thing. And we're seeing a lot of discussion and demand that we use drones and all this high-tech technology, which might help a little bit, but I think it's diverting attention away from really what we need is to use our brains. That was it. That was the episode. These are human beings <laughs> that are killing the elephants. Let's use our brains and let's you know, work on this problem, humans with humans. I am so happy to hear you say that because that was a few episodes ago and it was called, What's That Thing Sitting on Top of Your Shoulders? Our brains. We're not using our brains anymore. <laughs> so in that sense, let's go over to JJ Kelly. Are you part of Wildlife Direct also? Or um, John had introduced you to me to, of the impact that uh, Battle for the Elephants is having. Could I just make one correction? Absolutely. Um, uh, JJ worked with me as my co-producer on the making of Battle for the Elephants. Okay. Um, and, um, uh, you know, we, we took on many different tasks, but one of the things that J.J. took on at the end of the film was the um, uh, social media campaign. Um, but so when you say the end of the film, you mean the completion of the wrap? The completion the rap, of the film, And then yeah. distribution yeah. and how to get but, but, awareness but he out is, there. He is a co-producer of mine, and he was in the trenches on the making of that film. Okay, so let's hear from you, JJ. Where would you like to start? I don't even know where to begin. Well, this film was an absolute delight for me to work on. I've been working in television for my career, um, so it's not too long, but the last 10 years I've been making TV shows. And it goes that you finish a television show, it goes on TV, the ratings come in, you might get a pat on the back or a try harder next time, and that's the end of it. But John gave me a chance a couple of years ago to go over to Africa for the first time. And again, the name Richard Leakey comes up. We, we followed Richard Leakey and his family in northern Kenya around Lake Turkana. 
And then after that, we were in Nairobi, and we went on a little safari, and I had a chance outside of Nairobi to see my first elephant. And this, this infection, this love that we talked about earlier, I had at that moment. So when John called up about a year ago and said, how about we do another film together, this time going after the elephant and these, this atrocity that's happening with, with all this ivory that's traveling around the world and the elephants that are being slaughtered for it. So it was, a, it was of course, where do I sign up, John? So I, we went over there, and again, it was this incredible opportunity. And, and when I mentioned earlier, when a TV show goes on the air and that's the end of it, it really wasn't that way for this film. And that's the only time in my career where it's been like that. Because we took this film over to Thailand, and we showed it to CITES there, which is a group that regulates the trade for endangered species. And we had a packed house. We went to a lot of these other screenings of other films there, and there were just a handful of people there. It was standing room only. And then we also filmed it, we screened in New York. We made this, this small social media campaign with National Geographic where we found that a lot of younger people and people from around the world aren't sitting to watch an hour program. So they want to get it on the, on the web. They want to get it on their phone. They want to get it on their iPad. They want to get it on their tablet. So we made these serialized two to four minute webisodes that went viral. Webisode. Webisode. <laughs> well, our language is constantly changing. So where can our listeners find these webisodes? Is there a link, yeah. um, a website? Can you tell us what that is? Yeah, absolutely. So our film is Battle for the Elephants. If you were to Google Battle for the Elephants, you'll find the PBS version of the entire show that you can watch domestically in the States here. But if online? You, online, for okay. free. And then you'll also find listed underneath that all of our webisodes. There were six webisodes. It'll say episode one, episode two, and they were posted by National Geographic. So this was definitely more than a film, and I think that we were very involved with the negotiations and just the planning of the event that brings us all here today. Well, partly I can relate because Wild Eyes funded a small PSA, The Elephant in the Room. That's where I met John. We happened to win Jackson Hole best in short shorts, which was a complete astonishment for me and a thrill. But like John said, or in what JJ is saying, the making of the film is really just the beginning. When the film wraps, that's the beginning of, or is, is the beginning of the rest of it, of the awareness campaign. So John said earlier that you can give us some insight to the impact that Battle for the Elephants is having on the ground in Tanzania or Kenya, East Africa? Well, if, if I could just uh, weigh in one thing there. Um, we decided to tell this story in kind of um, a very simplistic, at least for me, way. We wanted to show um, the, the supply and the demand side of ivory in the world. And we, we actually thought most people understood this. Um, you Surprise. Know, <laughs> yeah. And, and so it was an absolute uh, gobsmacking uh, revelation for all of us, JJ, uh, Katie Carpenter, and myself, and John Bradar from uh, uh, National Geographic, uh, when we discovered that nobody knew it, and they were just amazed and moved and in tears, and 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 wanted to come back uh, and say um, and say uh, and wanted to come back and say, what do we do? Um, well, we didn't really have very good answers at the time. We've refreshed those answers, and, and I'll just add this before JJ uh, gets in. Um, I went to, uh, I met up with, with Paula in Nairobi, um, <clears throat> and she had put on um, 
uh, it was Wildlife Direct, uh, an extraordinary gala in, in Kenya in which um, the highest levels of government, uh, the diplomatic corps, um, uh, major businesses, all were in the same room and they watched Battle for the Elephants. That was going to be my next but, question. So Battle for the Elephants did premiere in Nairobi. It didn't just premiere in Nairobi at our uh, launch of the entire campaign, which was um, spearheaded by the First Lady, Margaret Kenyatta herself. But we also then got invited to screen it all over the place. It's been screening in universities, in schools, at the museums, um, at clubs, all over the place. So this is part of the whole What Wildlife Direct is about. And please go and visit Wildlife Direct. That's all one word. And it's wildlifedirect.org to learn more about what they're doing. Um, it's an incredible organization. It's a collaborative organization. Yes, they need fundraising. So you can donate so that they can continue doing what they do. But they also provide sourcing and open sourcing for other organizations to get information so that we all know what's going on as opposed to the left hand not knowing what the right hand is doing wildlife direct provides uh information so that everybody's sort of on the same page and up to speed and can find out what's happening so i hope our listeners go check out wildlife direct and find out what's happening and jj or john you look like you have something to say here no, it's just simply that I think that <clears throat> unless we cooperate uh, between ourselves, uh, we're not going to win this battle. And um, if you look at all the NGOs, the non-governmental organizations that have been working on this elephant um, catastrophe uh, for the last uh, few years, um, the, the numbers of elephants killed um, has not declined but has accelerated. Something is not right. They are not doing the right thing. And so what we're trying to do, Wildlife Direct, thanks to Paula, is to come up with some new ideas, some inventive ideas, and to get and to make friends where we didn't have friends before. And this is what I've been saying for a long time. The model that we've been working under the last hundred years is not working. We're losing our wildlife. We have a war on wildlife, so something has to change. We have to think outside the box in a paradigm shift. So Battle for the Elephants, Wildlife Direct, and what JJ is doing in terms of social networking is shifting this. But it's hard to see the shift until you sort of get out of one. And then you can look back and say, oh, wow, we really did that before. So, John, you're absolutely correct. Elephant numbers are declining in catastrophic numbers. We need to work together as a planet and as I had said on my um, last week's show, introducing this next few weeks of episodes, talking about the Ivory Crush and different organizations, is that this is not an African problem. This is a global problem. I don't even want to call it a problem. It's not a problem. It's not like you have to solve a mathematical equation. This is huge. As Paula said earlier, we are losing one of the most charismatic megafauna that we have on the planet and it's a keystone species. What happens when you pull an elephant out of the ecosystem collapses everything above and everything below it. So we've heard from John, we've heard from Paula. JJ, do you have a, um, a little information, a little or a lot of information that you can tell us about tracking the impact in East Africa, in Kenya well, or Tanzania? You know, it's been disappointing, I think, to everybody to see the numbers of elephant decline as they have. 
And, you know, we talked earlier in this episode about not that long ago, Richard Leakey doing this, this public awareness, this, this burning, similar to what we're here now with this crush, and then the world starting to take notice again. So it's, it's my hope that with, with the film that we've made, with groups, NGOs going out raising awareness, when Brian Christie's article came out in National Geographic, so many people came to us and they said, I can't believe that this is a problem again. We, we forgot what we learned 30 plus years ago. So it's my hope that we're, we're starting to remember again. And it's unfortunate that we have to have this refresher. This reminder. And it is unfortunate because Kenya burned her ivory again in 2011. Correct? No. No? Kenya burned somebody else's ivory in 2010. Oh, okay. Kenya, Kenya is the home of the Lusaka Agreement Task Force. It's the Interpol for Africa. Okay. They receive all of the seized ivory from around Africa and a shipment of five tons of ivory that came out of government stockpiles from some southern African countries, Malawi in particular, had been seized in Singapore. And, then, and that ivory was sent to Kenya. And Malawi wanted the ivory back and nobody wanted to give it back because they were afraid it would just go straight back out the back door again. So we negotiated an agreement to burn it instead. And that's what we burned. It was not Kenyan ivory. Well, thank you for that clarification because, you know, I didn't know that. And Very few people realize that, yeah. Because that's the, that's the, important. The president of Kenya set it alight and it really was a mirror of what the first president, second president of Kenya did in, in 1989. Um, and, and it was just as meaningful because it really is a statement that of zero tolerance. So here in Denver, our U.S. Fish and Wildlife is crushing it. We're not burning it. And the first question when we've talked to the public is what is going to be done with it? And I'm going to be asking U.S. Fish and Wildlife that next uh, on Monday. But um, part of the question and the equation is they say to remove the value of ivory so that it has no value on the black market. But ivory has a value of all those lives that have been lost, elephant lives. So using the word valueless or worthless I think provides a misconception of what we're trying to accomplish here. So I've heard a variety of um, answers to what's going to be done with it. What do you think should be done with these six tons of crushed ivory? If I could just weigh in there, um, I would. I like to use the word symbolic. Um, it, uh, from what I understand, the crush will will reduce it to. Um, uh, either dust or little bits and chips. Like uh, gravel. Something like that, yeah. which would be great. We'll find out tomorrow. And, um, and then I think it should be distributed by lottery to, um, to any institution that has a good symbolic use of it, including a Chinese institution. Okay. And, um, and what it should be used for is education. And um, I, I, I throw out some bad examples, but, and I know brighter people are going to come up with much better ones. But if you were to pave the pathways around an elephant um, uh, cage, I don't know what you call them, in a zoo. Um, exhibit. <laughs> exhibit, sorry. Um, in a zoo, and you were to put them there um, with signs that every person of any age could, could realize that they were stepping on on the remains of many, many elephants. And it was for this, this stuff in the gravel, 
that they died. If little kids could understand that message would be wonderful. Maybe an hourglass with it all sifting through and the and when it's all done, that will be the end of the elephants unless something has been done. Maybe that an is, art object. That is the best answer I've heard to that question so far. I don't know if you listened to PBS this morning with Colorado Matters. You were on that this morning with Jeffrey Haynes, who was an adamant um, opponent to what you were saying, um, and that he thinks it should be sold to raise money for conservation. So yes, that would be the ultimate best use, correct? But it's not working. I mean, it wasn't that originally why the stockpiles were sold, was to raise money to go back to the range states where elephants are and go into conservation. We mentioned corruption. We're not going to name names or anything, but that is partly the reason why we are having difficulty selling ivory. So I'm going to ask a really pointed question, Paula. Um, CITES, the Japan experiment of the first sale, mm -hmm. which was uh, in 1997, I believe, which you had said earlier that the Kenya burning her stocks of ivory in 1984, correct? 1989. So, 1989. Poaching dropped. It was negligible. Then there was the one-off sale to Japan. Three years later, there was a sale to China. Since then, do you think that CITES' decision to do that second sale confused the issue to the point that it made it seem like there's plenty of ivory and there's more where that came from and sent that a confusing message to China? Because let's be clear, there's a legal trade in ivory in China. So how do we, how do we deal with this? Well, first, CITES is made up of countries, parties, right? It's made up of our governments. And those governments agreed to the one-off sale of ivory to China despite the fact that everyone knew that the controls in place in China were inadequate. There was ample evidence. There were ample warnings that this would trigger a massive surge in poaching because the demand for ivory would not be satisfied by that sale of ivory. And all of that has come true. And that's so, what we see in Battle for the Elephants. That's, that's exactly. the message. The, um, the responsibility of CITES is absolutely there. The reason why I think CITES has to take full responsibility for this is because that convention is founded on a basic principle called the principle of oh God, what is it? protecting nature. This is what I discussed on um, on Monday's show. The the mission of CITES. Um, a it's it's founded on the precautionary principle. The precautionary principle is that if you're not sure about something, you simply don't do it. Good point. Right? Now, they seem to have thrown that principle out of the window, and it really was one of the most important principles in CITES. As a result, now, you have a situation where the poaching is racing out of control, and there is nobody can persuade me that if we do sell all those ivory stockpiles, which are accumulating across Africa, to be honest. They really are large stockpiles all across Africa. If you were to dump those onto the market, they would not satisfy the Chinese demand. Elephants are not diamonds. Elephants are not commodities. They are animals like human beings, and they live in families. 
and they or are as conscious. And Dame Daphne Sheldrick says they are better than us. They're much better than us. They are much, much better than us. And we cannot expect to manage them as we might do trees or you know, minerals. It, it's just simply not working. And it's time for us to step back and say, you know what, this experiment failed. It's not the first time, by the way. This is now about the fourth or fifth time this experiment has, has taken place. We should just stop. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we could ask the elephants what they thought about us? I'm surprised that they have forgiven us at all for what we've done. I don't think they've forgiven us. <laughs> that they even tolerate coming up. You know, did you have an opportunity, JJ, to have an elephant get close or get close to an elephant yeah, when you they, were there? They come up to you and they smell you with their trunk and they're very curious and they're just so gentle. But I'll tell you, you know, I've had the chance to film in the, the Tanzania Ivy Room, which is perhaps the largest stockpile of raw ivory in the world. And I've also filmed the stockpile here in Denver. And I think that Paul is absolutely right that it's, it's not enough. It's, it's not just enough to sell more ivory because that's what we've done in the last 15 years here. And we've learned that it's only made the demand stronger. So I think just by adding a little bit more out there, you're, you're, you're just perpetuating this. And when you introduce that into the, the largest middle class in the world that's growing at an astronomical rate, that you're going to have more problems. So it's too precarious to, to, to gamble when you have so few elephants left today. Can, can I just add one thing? Absolutely. Um, um, is that um, I, as a supporter of the U.S. Fish and Wildlife uh, crush of ivory, I've gotten some hate mail. Um, and um, and it goes basically this that um, that by destroying this stockpile worth millions of dollars uh, we are we are uh, reducing uh, the supply in the world and economic theory tells us that it's only going to raise the price of ivory elsewhere. Well, Paul is shaking her head. By the way, I just in horror at the kind of. I am too. I, I, I just wanted no, no, uh, our uh, listeners, uh, since they can't see us, to know sort of what's visually going on here. Continue. <laughs> so, so um, I just I just want to say that that um, the what we have experienced in the last um, thirty years has flown in the way of of classic economic theory, because the destruction of ivory is not it's it's not a strict. Um, supply and demand curve, you're not, you, it doesn't explain, explain human behavior. Exactly. And it doesn't, um, and what these uh, uh, ivory crushes, the one in the Philippines, the one in Gabon, the one, you know, in Richards, um, in Kenya many years ago, what they have all done is they've been a, 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 a human expression of um, the need to destroy to destroy the, the, the behavior that wants to buy the ivory. And classic economic theory does not deal with human behavior in that way. Absolutely. It also doesn't recognize the fact. It has nothing in any of the chapters that I've read about international criminal cartels. Which is a huge part of the equation that yeah. um, has not been discussed previously. So that, that was a wonderful point that you made there, John. Paula, do you have anything further to add? Do you think we could ever get to the point that when an elephant dies, the ivory can just be left there? 
and nobody has to collect it. Wouldn't that be the ultimate goal that if we could change human behavior, that ivory was not of value to us to do things with for art or whatever, and that it could just... Uh, yeah, Leah, I just want to add that, um, you know, okay, ivory is rare and that makes it precious. It's also very beautiful. And that we're never going to get away from that. People will always want it. Um, we need to educate people about why they shouldn't have it. Um, we have um, a canary in the, in the cave just last week. The Western black rhinoceros was declared extinct. I reported on that, yes. You know, it hasn't gotten the level of public response that it deserves. Ivory People hasn't gotten the level of public response. The, the, the extinction the of the Western, yes, of the Western okay. black rhino. People should be marching down the streets and protesting. We have lost one of the world's largest mammals, land mammals, and... Hardly anyone has batted an eyelid. A couple of weeks ago I reported that since the ESA was in enacted, we have 11, we had 11 confirmed extinctions. Most of them were small things, insects, some birds, a couple of mammals. So this is the 12th or the 13th now known confirmed extinction, the first of a megafauna. Well, Christy Brinkley was at um, the launch, the premiere of another film just last night and she said, why don't we have a moment of silence across every television station, every radio station, every time a species goes extinct, let's let the world know about it. Let's have a moment of silence for them. Like She's Earth right. Hour, where everybody turns off their lights for a moment. That's a good idea. Maybe we can organize something like that. I'd love to be a part of something like that. We need to, we need to bring it to global attention. Otherwise, we'll lose them. We won't even know that we've lost them. That's what's happened with the Western black climate. So, JJ, do you have anything to add, or do um, any of you have anything further to add? No, I mean, Last we've all gathered together, and the, the crush is imminent now, and I'm, you know, we've got a few final preparations to get the camera equipment ready, and I'm just excited to see how it all plays out tomorrow, to see if there are protesters, to see if there are people cheering, to see if there are people crying. I hadn't crying. thought that far ahead, so you will be filming the crush. We will be okay. for National Geographic. Okay, uh, excellent. Uh, and I gather it'll be posted that night. Tomorrow night. Yeah. Okay, Tomorrow well, night. I'll be filming it. So hopefully just about everyone who is there will be filming it and will be posting it and putting it at hash ivory, which is the Twitter for all things Ivory Crush right now, and putting it on everybody's Facebook page. You have a, does Battle for the Elephants have a page? JJ? Or your webisodes, or you, you could definitely go and watch the webisodes, and I encourage you to do that. You can watch it anywhere in the world. It's posted on YouTube via National Geographic's channel, and you can share them and hashtag them and tag them. And but in terms of a Facebook page for our film, no, we don't we don't have. But I would, well, I, would get on that. I would recommend two things or three things: following JJ Kelly's uh, Facebook page, okay, which is dynamic. Um, I'm online at www.hemingway.net and um, Wildlife Direct um, is, um, has a big presence. Um, if you go to that, it's wildlifedirect.org. And Hands Off Our Elephants on Facebook. Yes, and then there's the, your part are, you personally and Wildlife Direct is part of the, aren't you coordinating with WWF and the 
um, wildlife crime series or am I mistaken? They're doing a three-part video series on wildlife trafficking. Maybe, maybe it's undercover and I don't yet know about it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, now you do. <laughs> so, hands off our elephants. Um, I urge our listeners to check out uh, wildlifedirect.org. Visit John Hemming Hem, 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 and there's no G in there, at www.org. Hemingway.net. That's H-E-M-I-N-W-A-Y.net. And check out J.J. Kelly's Facebook page. So I would like to thank the three of you for taking this time in this very, very busy couple of days for um, this interview on Our Wild World. And uh, thank you. Thank thank you. Thank you very much. It's a delight. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Wildlife. No wild, no life. Big, scary, beautiful. Predators are in danger. Without them, our rivers dry up. Our forests don't grow. Our communities go hungry. Our biodiversity crumbles. Wildlife drives our planet's ecosystems. The Wild Effect. It's in our hands. Ellie founded Wild Eyes Foundation because she loves Africa and to remind us that there are more harmonious and less destructive ways to live on our planet. She does this so we may be able to look inside ourselves and understand the deeper partnerships that connect us all and to take responsibility for our lives and our Earth. Africa is one of our last remaining wild places and the origins of humanity. It is irreplaceable. Africa is at a crossroads, on the brink of possibilities. We can choose to let its wildlife be lost forever, or we can help save it. In Africa, it is still possible to make a difference. Visit us at www.wildeyes.org to learn how you can make a difference. We only have one Earth. If we don't care, who will? W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. Voice America presents a new kind of health awareness talk show, the Sharon Kleina Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water. Show host Sharon Kleina interviews leading scientists to discover how each of us can become proactive in protecting our personal health environment in an increasingly unhealthy world. Every show offers new information that could save your life. The Sharon Kleina Hour is health from an environmental perspective your ultimate source for a personal environmental lifestyle. Listen Mondays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel and Wednesdays at 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Tune in to Patricia Raskin Positive Living on voiceamerica.com every Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time. This program brings you practical and inspiring principles for living a more authentic, engaging, and passionate life. Patricia's guests will give you a formula for connecting, giving, forgiving, and miraculous living. So tune in and call in to Patricia Raskin Positive Living Mondays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time right here on the Voice America Variety Channel. It's practical, positive solutions for a happy, empowered, and successful life the future of online tv is here view exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else visit voiceamerica.tv today you're listening to ellie weiss and our wild world 
We want to hear from you. Call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. If you'd rather send us an email, please send it to wildeyes at wildeyes.org. That's W-I-L-D-I-Z-E at W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. Now, back to our wild world. Welcome back. This is Ellie Weiss with Our Wild World, and thanks for sticking with us and the interview with Wildlife Direct. And now I would like to introduce uh, our Secretary of State, uh, Assistant Secretary of State, Judy Garber, and her statement at the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Ivory Crush. Thank you. Thank you, Dan, very much. Um, it's always a privilege to partner with the Fish and Wildlife Service, and in this case also with IFA for this um, historic event. Um, I have no doubt that what happens here today, the Ivory Crush, is going to send a powerful message to the world that the United States has zero tolerance for poaching. A year ago, World Wildlife Fund launched a global campaign to stop wildlife crime as we watched with, really with horror um, and despair as endangered species like elephants and rhinos and tigers were being systematically targeted at rates we haven't seen uh, in our lifetimes, really. Um, but it's also easy to forget how far we've come in the last year. Uh, the world has begun to respond. This is an issue that was once relegated to poorly equipped park rangers. It's now being taken up by heads of state. Not only in Gabon, in Thailand, and the Philippines, you heard about that earlier. These are also countries which have recently taken steps to close down their ivory markets, destroy their ivory stocks. We, of course, have seen um, the highest level of attention on the issue here at home when President Obama announced his executive order in July. The government-wide response that is called for there is unprecedented, it's critical, and it's going to make a difference, we are sure. Uh, we believe that the President's task force on wildlife trafficking is going to be an important model for the rest of the world and we are heartened that we're hearing interest from around the world in what the United States does on this issue. Um, and so it, this is extremely important. Clearly the world is watching. And that's, in this instance, very exciting. No agency has been more central to this issue than the Fish and Wildlife Service. It's long-led efforts, of course, not only here at home to conserve wildlife, but also abroad. Um, it has really been a model for global action to conserve wildlife and enforce domestic and international laws related to wildlife trade. But it's also important not to forget that the United States is one of the biggest consumers of wildlife products. Behind every piece of ivory you see behind me over here today, every tusk, every trinket, is a dead elephant. Think about that. It's a dramatic image, it's a disturbing image, um, and it's one that is a call to action for all of us. American consumers need to realize that anytime they purchase ivory or any illegal wildlife item, they're feeling demand for these products and contributing to the poaching crisis and supporting the organized criminal syndicates that are behind it, that are destabilizing, not of course only wildlife populations, but also societies and countries in the process. Ultimately, the demand for ivory needs to be reduced if we're gonna save elephants in the wild a next important step we would like to see after this important event is a ban on the sale and trade of ivory within the United States. We believe... <laughs> that's an action that is going to be important for the world and for the elephants. 
to that end, I'm really uh, heartened to, to share with you that just since this morning, as a result of petitions um, online launched by a number of organizations here today, have generated over 30,000 actions uh, in support of, 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 of action in Congress on this issue. Uh, that's a huge number in a very short amount of time. It shows the interest, the energy, the momentum behind this, uh, and that's very encouraging. It's clear we're not going to solve this crisis with a lot of new bold measures. We're confident that the government response is going to be uh, robust uh, and make a difference. We would really like to thank the Justice Department, the Interior Department, the State Department, all the agencies involved, including the White House, of course, for their unprecedented commitment. We're grateful for their leadership, and we're also very grateful for the leadership of the many partner organizations who are here today, who are coming together as never before to stop wildlife crime. Thank you. So as you can tell from the past few episodes, we are working on a series to highlight what is going on in our wild world, from the impacts on the ground of wildlife trafficking to finding out who these traffickers are, where they are, and how we can stop them as we lose our elephant populations across the world and many other of our wildlife populations are being decimated. So from uh, previous episodes, you can check up on some background information uh, that I've provided throughout the past year and a half, and then especially looking forward to uh, the coming episodes with IFAW, the International Fund for Animal Welfare, uh, hopefully World Wildlife Fund, and then uh, what some student coalitions are doing to help save tigers, Tigers for Tigers, and then an organization organization called Freeland Foundation. So we have a lot coming up for you over the next several weeks and uh, stay tuned and listen in. We'd also like you to join in uh, our discussion group on LinkedIn. LinkedIn, Our Wild World, where we'll be posting uh, the day's episodes, and you can we can continue the discussion uh, through LinkedIn discussion groups. You can also join us on Facebook at Wild Eyes, and uh, visit our website, www.wildeyes.org. I look forward to talking to you, and until next time, this is Our Wild World. Thank you again for joining us this week. Be sure to tune in next Monday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time for another edition of Our Wild World with your host, Ellie Weiss, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Think about living with wildlife during the coming week and what you can do right now. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network its staff and management.